Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Prayers lifted up all around the room, Father, for different things, different concerns, different hearts. It all ends in the same place. It ends in your ear at your throne. So we commit all of these things to you now in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen and amen and amen. Okay, here we go. Uh, we are in this series called Unashamed. We've been there for uh, several weeks now. First few weeks, we're looking at we would be unashamed in our worship. And I just want to say to you, I'm sitting here on the front row and I'm listening to you sing. And it's so heartening to me as a pastor. Thank you. I am buoyed uh, by your faith. So thank you for that uh, in the ways that you sing. Let's, let's stay hard after God in, in environments like this. We're unashamed in our worship, but also unashamed in our witness to the world. We Last week, uh, the, the series kind of pivoted thinking about um, how we not only engage God, but how also we engage those around us. And we've kind of anchored ourselves in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. So I want you to put eyes on this for just a moment, and we'll read it together. And then just as a way of review, rehearse the two big truths that we've carried through the whole series. But this Romans chapter 1, verse 16. You ready? Let's read it out loud together. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So, Jew, folks who grew up religious, Greek, those who grew up far from God, either way, uh, the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And so, if you're not familiar with that, the story is, is that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died in our place and for our sins as a perfect sacrifice, rose again victoriously, um, as the uh, ruling and reigning Lord, who is now seated at the right hand of God, praying for his people, and one day is going to come back uh, and return to set everything right. And for anybody, you, me, uh, those of us with a lot of baggage, those of us with not very much, those of us who packed our own bags, those of us who had our bags packed for us, anybody who puts their trust in Jesus can be forgiven of their sin, given freedom uh, and uh, to live a different kind of life, and given a life that is indestructible even by death. That's the good news of Jesus. And that's why we're not ashamed of it. The two big truths here uh, that have come out of this series, again, I just want to highlight here and put eyes on them. Number one, um, we do not define God for ourselves or ourselves for God. We have uh, worked and worked and worked on all of this. We don't get to define ourselves for God. Every one of us would like a God who agrees with us all the time, but all we would have is our own personality projected on a big stage. That's all we would have. Instead, what we have is a God who, who, um, the God who is and who speaks to us and encourages us and, and shapes us and, and convicts us and changes us. We don't get to define God for ourselves and we don't define ourselves for God because some of us would say, look at me, God, look at me. Look how great I am. I can clap on beat and I pray at the right time and I give money and all those things. Don't you want me on your team? Some of us would say, God, please, whatever you do, do not look at me. Whatever you do, don't look at me. Um, but we don't get to define ourselves for God either. Uh, and then the second big truth is that and this is the truth that really has carried, I mean, it has been the foundation for this whole series. Those who experience God's grace deeply express their passion boldly. That would be uh, when, when we experience the grace of God as it comes into our lives and as it soaks deep down into us, it gets down into our DNA, down into, at the cellular level of our lives. 
That then erupts out of us with great passion. This morning in the 8.30 service, you'll see the video next week. Uh, we had a baptism. This uh, teenager gave a profound testimony of how God had worked in her life. And man, this place just erupted with celebration. Why? Because people had seen the grace of God and it, ex- and it exploded out of them with great passion. And that's true of us in our worship. It's also true in our witness. And so Luke chapter 19 is, uh, is this story here. Now, um, here's the thing. If you grew up around church, this possibly is a very familiar story to you, but probably not as familiar as you think. It's one of these where familiarity has actually blinded us um, to some of this. So uh, Luke chapter 19, we're going to jump right in. If you didn't grow up around church, this is a fantastic story. Here we go. Luke chapter 19, he, that's Jesus. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He was curious, Zacchaeus was, okay? He was curious. Um, uh, But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Now, if you grew up around church, there's a song associated with this story. Zacchaeus, he was a... We'll pick this back up in just a minute, but hold on to that. A wee little man. If anybody tries to roll that out as an insult this week, will you let me know how that turns out for you? I just want to know, okay? Oh, yeah, well, you're a wee little man. I just want to know how that goes. Verse 4. So he ran on ahead, Zacchaeus did, and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Jesus was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him today, salvation has come to this house. He also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Such a great story. I want to ask four questions, and these will come pretty rapidly, so just jump in with me. Here's question number one. Who is seeking? It's a famous verse, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Who is doing the seeking, and what's the answer to that? Jesus is. I mean, like, you're like, it's church. It's supposed to be Jesus. Yes, Jesus Jesus is doing the seeking, but specifically, he calls himself in, in verse 10, the son of man, the son of man. That, that is a, that's an important title. It was Jesus' favorite title for himself, and he actually picked up that language from the Old Testament book of Daniel. We're going to preach through that book in the summer and all the craziness that is the last half of Daniel, and then our minds will all explode or something. I'm not sure how it's going to happen, but like in chapter seven of Daniel, there is a vision. Okay. Daniel has a vision as he's praying. And the son of man is one who is on the earth and is exalted to the right hand of God. Does it sound familiar to anybody? If you know the Bible story, that's exactly what happens to Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, I'm that guy. I am that guy. I am the son of man. It is this victorious title um, from the Old Testament. And again, his favorite title for himself. But it's not just that he's the son of man. He's a man, if you will, on a mission. And so two different times here, I want to point out in the text here, for the son of man came to seek. So in other words, this is why he is here. 
He came to seek. Other people may think other things. He came to leave us good teaching. He came to uh, work some miracles and kind of make some things better. He came to change the systems in the world. No, 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 no. That's not what Jesus said. The Son of Man came to seek. And then just picking back, that back up, same theme, look in verse 6. And when Jesus came to that place, uh, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. And then what's the next little phrase in, in, in your Bible? For I, what? I must... I must stay at your house today. I must stay at your house. I, I mean, Jesus is king of the universe. He can stay at whatever house he wants to. Why must he stay at Zacchaeus' house? Because he is seeking. He's the son of man, the victorious one, the exalted one. But he's a, he is on a mission, and that mission is seeking. Who is seeking? Jesus, the son of man. And he's a man on a mission. Second question. Told you they were coming fast. Uh, the first question is, who is, he seek, uh, who is seeking? Second question, whom, whom is Jesus seeking? Verse nine, uh, 10 again. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save. What's the last phrase there? The lost. Okay, he came to seek and to save the lost. Whom is he seeking? He's seeking the lost. Now, um, our lostness may demonstrate itself differently, but every one of us in here qualifies as lost. Romans chapter 3 says this, that every one of us has sinned. Every one of us. There's not, I mean, just look down the row and you are sitting next to an extraordinarily good sinner. Every one of them. A couple of you parents are like, yeah. One wife. I, don't do that. Don't do that in here. Don't do that. Every one of us is an extraordinarily good sinner. All of us have sinned and fallen short of this amazing glory that God would want to share with us. Every one of us. We all fall short. Our lostness may express itself differently, though, than those sitting next to you. Our brokenness may look different than somebody else's brokenness. In this particular story, and we see this all throughout the Bible, I just want to point it out yet again. Um, we, we've got kind of two little groups. We've got a group of, uh, or an example of rebellion, and we've got an example of religion, both of whom miss it altogether, or are going to miss it altogether. Uh, for some of us, our lostness looks like Zacchaeus. Uh, he's chasing the dollar and all it will buy, all its conveniences, all its pleasures. And he surrenders, furthermore, he surrenders to the system that keeps other people down as long as I am uh, lifted up. That's fine by me. So Zacchaeus, it says back in verse uh, 1, two, excuse me, verse 2, he was the chief tax collector and was rich. Chief tax collector. This is how this goes. So all the people in this section over here, if I'm the tax collector, I come along and I'm like, hey, your taxes this year are 20 bucks. You owe me 20, you owe me 20, you owe me 20, you owe me 20. And that's, that's the thing. Now, if, if that is my relationship with them, how do they feel about me? All of you people over here, how do they feel? Oh, you don't like me at all. Whenever the tax man comes, you don't like me. But if I'm the chief tax collector, I have minions underneath me. And I make those minions give me a cut. And so now... Because I'm taking a cut, their taxes go from 20 bucks to 30 bucks. Now, how do they feel about me? Even worse. That, that's the hatred that exists for Zacchaeus. Not only was he part of the system of oppression that kept these people down, when you talk about working for the man, Zacchaeus was the man. He was not only a part, a key part, the, the top part, the chief part of the system that oppressed a group of people. 
But also, he was rich, and so he had all these, he had all these funds, all these things. He had chased the dollar. He had given himself to that. He had given himself to all the pleasures that it could, that it could buy, all the conveniences and comfort, and there were people all around him who went without. He was a tax the chief tax collector, and he was rich. Um, and, and that rebellion against God sometimes takes that form where we go in hot pursuit of pleasure or comfort or status or any number of other things that we can name. That's Zacchaeus. Some of you grew up with that story. That's your story. Your story is, oh man, for the first 22 and a half years of my life, this is what I live for. And you can name it. I live for her. I live for him. I live for their approval. I live for this thing. I live for uh, 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 the accomplishment of this or the attainment of status of this. Or I, if I could only get to this, then that was for sure. Make me, that, that, that's your story. You, you put your foot on the gas and don't look back as you hurl headlong into that. Some of us, that's not our story though. Some of us, it's a different story. We talked about the rebels. Let's talk about the religious. Look down at verse 6. Uh, sorry, verse 7, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. Now, can we just pause here? Who's they? We don't know. But what we do know is that there was a crowd of people, and they, whoever they are, they, they, uh, they don't like this. So in my mind, Zacchaeus, he was a wee little man, right? And so uh, the, the crowd already hated him. They, they hated him. And so they know, oh, gee, he's curious. I'm going to check it out, see what's going on. And so what does the crowd do? In my mind, they're like, you know, they're doing a dance. Make sure that Zacchaeus can't actually see him. So Zacchaeus has to go climb a sycamore tree. I, I, I put that there to say there are always going to be people in, in our lives and around us and in, in ministry spheres and all, who, who fit the they. They fit the they. They were frustrated. Um, they, they were uh, uh, grumbling against this. Uh, for some, it looks like they. They run to religion instead of rebellion. What's religion? Religion is the place where people go to be respected because they've lost the courage to be real. And in this particular case, those are the kinds of things that we see all throughout, particularly the book of Luke. People pursue respect and they have lost the courage to be real. I would rather these people think that I'm okay than actually deal with the issues that are in my life. And that version of lostness and brokenness is just as lost and just as broken as Zacchaeus. So if that's your story today, then I want to invite you to hear something different. Jesus is seeking you. Jesus is seeking you. What this does is I think it has something to say about you and about me. As we've already said, um, everybody in here is lost. It is our condition apart from Jesus and apart from being sought by Jesus. And, and the thing that I, I think is important for us ministry-wise is just because you don't sin in the way that I sin or find acceptable to sin, that doesn't mean that I get to write you off. Now, that to me felt like it landed a little bit. So can we back the truck up and just take one more run at that? Um, just ministry-wise, what this means is just because you don't sin in the way that I sin or the way that I think people should sin, that doesn't mean that I get to write you off. Jesus 
Both of both groups, the rebel and the religious, they both need Jesus. And Jesus is seeking the lost. So third question, why? Why is he seeking? Why is he seeking? He says again, verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and then to do what? Come on, people. This is audience participation. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Okay, so he came to seek and to save the lost. This is, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. So uh, paint a picture in here. We've got some Coast Guard families in our church. Let's just uh, do this. There's a boat uh, that runs out of power. They're taking on water. They've got a problem out in the Gulf somewhere, okay? And so uh, up comes the, the uh, uh, Coast Guard rescue helicopter, which always managed to fly right over my house. I don't know what the deal is. Like I'm a marker or something. But of it, that red helicopter comes zinging out of Ellington, hustles down to the coast, and they start their search grid. Okay? And all of a sudden, they find that boat that's uh, out of power and taking on water. And you're like, hey, uh, base, this is the chopper. Good news. We found the boat. It's at this coordinate and this coordinate. Awesome. We're headed back. You're like, time out here. This is a, supposed to be a search and rescue mission. Like, a, like, it's not a search or rescue mission or, you know, like, a, search only? I mean, like, search and nothing else. Like, this is supposed to be a search and rescue mission. Like, if we, if we saw that happen, we'd be like, ah, that's not how this is supposed to go. Search and rescue. If we heard about that, we'd be like, hey, that's not all the story. This is the same thing. It's not all the story. It's not enough Jesus for Jesus simply to locate the lost. What does he want to do? He wants to save them. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He is coming on a mission not only to find those who are lost, but also to save those who are lost. It is search and rescue. And I think that's a profound thing to remember. He doesn't just want to find them. He doesn't just want to heap things on them and go, oh, I see where you are. You're living in Lostville and these things are true about you. Shame, 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 shame. He wants to rescue them. And how does he do so? He does so by coming just three chapters later in the book of Luke, three chapters later, he comes and he dies on a cross in our place and for our sins. And he bears our brokenness. He takes that on himself. He takes on himself the shame and the guilt that comes with all of that. And he, 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 in his own life and in his own body, he bears the penalty for all of that. And then he rises again victoriously so that we can have forgiveness and freedom in life. That's how he rescues us. That's how he rescues us. And this rescue brings transformation. This is profound what happens in Zacchaeus' life. So uh, in verse 9, Jesus, today salvation has come here. Uh, the, the text um, could point you to the fact that like, because Zacchaeus did some things, Jesus saying, oh, now you're saved. That's not how it works, though, in Bible life. Jesus engaged this guy, and this guy was profoundly changed, and this happened, and Jesus just blesses the whole thing and makes this, this amazing pronouncement, hey, salvation has come. But look at the change. Look at verse 8. Zacchaeus stood, said to the Lord, Lord, behold, uh, half of my goods I give to the poor. That's two and a half times what he was required to give by the law as he was making restitution. Two and a half times that. He's only supposed to give 20. He gives half. And then he says, uh, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it four, fourfold, which is twice as much as he was supposed to give. So, I mean, there is a profound change in Zacchaeus. He moved from greedy um, to generous. Uh, he moved from... Um, 
uh, he moved from convenience-oriented life to a sacrifice. He was willing to sacrifice. He moved from comfort to service. And he moved from insecurity, hey, am I going to be able to see, to joy. This is the transformation. This is the rescue that brings transformation. And it shapes people and it makes them different. Why is he seeking? He is seeking to save the lost. He wants to rescue them. Okay, last question. Fourth question. What is our role in this story? For you and for me. What's our role in this story? Um, Here's what I want to say. Some of us may find ourselves as Zacchaeus. Or they, whoever they are. And we need to hear his invitation to follow him. Today could be the day for you that Jesus seeks you and you put your trust in him and you begin to follow him. Today could be the day where all of that stuff that we've been talking about becomes a reality for you. And Jesus would say over your life today, salvation has come to this person. Some of us need to hear his invitation to follow him. And then some of us, maybe many of us in this room, don't need to hear his invitation to follow. Like, we want to do that kind of thing. Uh, but instead, we, we need to hear his invitation to go in pursuit of others because Jesus is in pursuit of those around us. Does anybody in their life have some, uh, in their, wherever your life would be, whatever you think about when you think about, you've got somebody in that sphere that does not know Jesus and is far from God. Anybody? Guess what? Jesus is seeking them. And how is he going to seek them? He's going to seek them through you. Now, this is, this is not always easy. It's not always clean. It's not always convenient. Sometimes it is very hard and very messy and very inconvenient. But this is what Jesus said, what happened to us. In Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus calls the first disciples, he says, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So if we follow, what is Jesus going to do? This is the part where you talk back. If, if we follow, what is Jesus going to do? He's going to make us to be fishers of men. That's what he says. Is he a liar? No. So then he's in the process of making us to be fishers of men. Therefore, if we're not fishing, what about the following part? See, Jesus is in pursuit of those in our lives that do not know him and are far from him. So to follow him then means a couple of things, just very practically for you and for me. Number one, we have to see. We have to see. Jesus is walking along. He looks up in a tree. There's a dude up there. He's a wee little dude, but he's a dude. This is not normal. This is not a, a, I mean, it's just not a normal thing. Um, I walked a lot of places this week. I never saw a guy just hanging out in a tree looking for me. I just didn't. So we have to see what's going on. We have to see. Um, can I give you just two very practical things? Number one, that means we got to put away some distractions. Church family, listen. There are people who are spiritually curious all around us that we may miss if we're staring at our screen. Your phone may need to go into your purse or your pocket more often than it does. I'm guilty too, believe me. But, but I don't want to live distracted. 
If Jesus was texting, he may have missed the guy in the tree. We don't want to be those people. Put away distractions. Secondly, as you see, don't be afraid of the people that you see there. Like, don't be afraid. Again, it can be really messy. Zacchaeus, he was a mess. Uh, the they, whoever they are, they're a mess too. Um, uh, we, we cannot be afraid of what we see. And you think to yourself, man, but, but there's no way. Like, there's, I, the, the person that I'm thinking of right now, there's no way that God could intercept their lives and do something. Like, they are a, they are a wreck. They have absolutely put it in the ditch more times than anybody can count. And man, let me tell you, they are a mess. They can't, no, God can't, sorry, he can't. I saw something this week that I, I have not seen before. I've been studying the Bible a long time. Uh, I, I didn't see it until this week. Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a story. Excuse me. There's a story told of Jesus and his interaction with, uh, the, he's called the rich young ruler. He's just a guy. And he rolls up on Jesus. He's like, hey, what can I do to have eternal life? Just like obey the commandments, learn to obey the commandments. And the guy's like, uh, well, I've done all this. Jesus said, oh, you lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. He's like, uh, no. Nope, not going to do it. He was in love with his money. And he walked away from Jesus. And this is what Jesus said. I can just picture Jesus is like rubbing his head. Man, it's hard for the rich to get into the kingdom. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for the rich to get into the kingdom. And Peter's like, uh, if the rich can't get in, how about us poor folk? Jesus is like, look, man, it may be impossible with man, but all things are possible with God. Can, do you believe that? All things are possible with God? Can we look back at verse 2? And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and somebody helped me. He was... There we have an example of a rich man entering the kingdom. Not 15 verses later. <laughs> I saw that this week, and I was like, oh, I can't wait till Sunday. <laughs> because with us, from our perspective, it's impossible. And God's like, oh, yeah, watch this. With him, all things are possible. So you've got a kid, you've got a parent. Antonio, you've got a parent. You've got a spouse, a friend, a neighbor. You've been laying siege to the throne. God, would you do something in this people's lives? Because where I'm standing, this looks impossible. They are in love with their drug of choice. And Jesus leans over to the Father and says, I told them it was impossible with man, but we know all things are possible with you. So let's clear some space. And God, go to work. Father, go to work in this person's life. <laughs> it's hard for the rich to get into the kingdom. Here's an example of the rich getting into the kingdom. Some of you have been at it. And I'm saying all things are possible with him. So see, see, look at the things that are around you. See the people who are around you and those specifically who are spiritually curious. I got to finish. Second thing, you got to stop. You have to stop again. Verse 5, Jesus came to him in place. He looked up. There's the seeing part. And he said to him, 
Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. We must stop. They will not hear without our witness. And frankly, they won't care if it's not winsome. Let me break that down. They won't hear without our witness. There has to be a point in our relationships where we look at people and we say, hey, listen, I don't know all the parts of your story, but let me tell you a story that's way better than the one you're living in. Let me tell you about an offer of life and freedom, of forgiveness, no shame, no guilt, no nothing. I mean, you can be free from all of those things. You have to stop and engage them. And, and we don't stop. Listen to me. We do not stop for people who disgust us. We talked about disgust last week. For people who disgust us, or we baptize this uh, in this way, people we think that Jesus is disgusted by. By all accounts, the one who oppressed, who was the tax, chief tax collector of rich, by all accounts, Jesus should have been like, no, no, no. Mm-mm. And this is where our culture, in particular, um, probably has shaped the reading of our text more than we want to know. So, okay, can we go back to our song? Now, if you didn't grow up around church, what is about to happen is really odd. I just want you to know, and we have grown since then, okay? But let's just, for those of you who did, just help me out here. Zacchaeus, he was... A wee little man. And a, a wee little man was he. Okay, and now you've got motion, so do this with me. He climbed up in the sycamore tree because the Lord he wanted to see. That's right. And as Lord Jesus passed that way, he looked up in the tree, and then he said, If this were a social experiment, it would be awesome just to watch. How many of you knew the motions of that song? How many of you shook your finger at me just a minute ago? Haters, every one of you. Can I ask you a question? Zacchaeus, you come down from there. Does that sound like invitation? Like, if I just rolled up on Trey and Lisa over there, and I'd be like, I got to come to your house today. They'd be like, no, you're not coming to my house. Get yourself out of here. No, 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 that's not right. Verse 5, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. Verse 6, so he hurried and came down. And received him. Somebody help me. What's the next word? Joyfully. The invitation that Jesus gave him produced joy in Zacchaeus. Some of us think Jesus walks by and he's like, you better come down from there. I'm coming to your house today. And the last response that you have or that you would ever think to have is joy. Oh, yes, Jesus. Thank you. I need a good old fashioned whooping. Come on. Nobody thinks that. The way that Jesus engaged Zacchaeus created joy. We don't stop for those that disgust us or that we think Jesus is disgusted by. So, do you see? Do you stop? Do you think about those people who are curious around you? And what is your witness to them like? So 
I want to pray. And we'll have our normal time of response here. We just have a minute to reflect. Frank's got a great old hymn for us to reflect on. Some of you may not even know it. It's that old. And we'll just have some moments where we can sing or listen. You may need to sit with your Bible open in your lap. These questions will pop up on the screen. If you need to snap a picture or write them down, feel free to do that. That doesn't bother us at all. We don't do pressure here. And so over the next few minutes, we're just going to give ourselves some space. If you need to pray, come forward and pray. There's, there's places to pray up here, just some sacred space. If you need to pray with somebody, there'll be some folks at the back there, so you don't have to walk up front. You can go to the back. I'll be happy to pray with you about some things. Some of you, you are Zacchaeus, and it's such great news to you that Jesus comes seeking. And he came seeking you. The reason you're in the room this morning is because Jesus is seeking you. And if you want to know more about what it means to know Jesus and follow him, We'd love to um, talk to you about that. And so you can just make your way to the back. We'd love to start a conversation with you about that. Let me pray. And then we'll just give you some space to respond, okay?